Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the words of scripture that call us to this place, for your spirit that paves the way, for the wonderful joy in which we lift up our voices and we feel your spirit move between us, for the bread and the, and the juice that we'll partake for this community. We pray that in the preaching of these words that we step aside and let your spirit speak for us that it be your words that we hear, that your spirit illuminate and enlighten our hearts and minds. We pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1997, I was serving at Rancho Bernardo Presbyterian Church down in San Diego. My children, my two children were in elementary school, and what we were really excited about was that we were going to be able to witness the passing of the Hale-Bopp Comet. Maybe you remember that as well. We were so excited. In fact, all our neighborhood was excited. We were going to have a neighborhood party that night, and all of us come out and sit in our lawn chairs and watch it. Kids were going to get to stay up late. It was to be the brightest and closest to pass the Earth in history and would not return for 100 years. So it seemed so monumental and so important. So that night, my husband and I sat in lawn chairs in our front yard with our children and with all of our neighbors. And we watched this incredible sight. And the way we interpreted it was this wonderful phenomenon of nature. But also, it reminded us how mysterious and familiar God's creation seemed, how it still had the ability to inspire awe, and it caused a great, wonderful conversation, enabled my husband and I to have that conversation with our kids and even with our neighbors. What I wouldn't know until the next morning was that about 30 minutes away in Rancho Santa Fe, a self-proclaimed prophet claiming to be the reincarnation of Jesus Christ would lead 39 members of the church he founded called Heaven's Gate in a mass suicide with the promise that God had instructed him to ready his people to be taken up by the Hale-Bob Comet, to be saved from the destruction in the same way that Noah and his family were saved from the flood. So how do you begin to interpret and to help your children understand that this same awe-inspiring God, the majesty of our creator. The interpretation had been so awry. The interpretation had been so twisted that it would cause such a crisis and tragedy. And I know it sounds crazy to us also. We, We shake our heads and we wonder how people could follow such a leader with such crazy ideas. How could they possibly think that this was the gospel of Christ? Our text today is dealing with a very similar situation of false teaching and corrupted theology in what is known as the Colossians crisis. 
Biblical scholars and historians believe that there was a theology that was being taught in Colossae that threatened the uniqueness of the person of Jesus as the Son of God, God embodied on earth. And not only did it threaten the, the understanding of Jesus as the Son of God, but it threatened the perfecting, the perfection of the redeeming and reconciling work that was accomplished by his death on the cross, meaning it didn't accomplish at all. There was still more to do. And the spiritual liberty enjoyed by all who by faith were united in him. Instead, the historians surmise, there were teachers and leaders claiming that God's fullness was distributed throughout a series of discharges or emanations from the divine stretching from the heavens to earth. And these offshoots of deity were to be honored and worshiped as angels or gods inhabiting the stars. In other words, it was returned to sun and moon and star worship as well as a focus on angelic beings. It was a shifting of our sight from the maker of all things and the creator to that which was created. And the second aspect of that theology was that in order to gain passage to this divine kingdom, you had to live a life of rigorous asceticism, rigorous discipline of austerity and self-denial. How you behaved and what you did could lock you out of God's presence or ensure your entrance into the divine kingdom. In other words, you're responsible for your own condemnation as well as you are responsible for your own salvation by your own behavior. And the whole book of Colossians is a response to these teachings. This morning we read a section of that response, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Listen to the word of the Lord. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. According to the author, faithful churches grow in the knowledge of Christ they received. And according to this author and this particular section, This growth is evident and tangible because it's the fruits. It's the fruits of the spirit of that church. The tangible fruits of faith and hope and love present in this community are the evidence of the spirit that guides that community. 
and false teachings threaten the redemption of the church and its communal life. According to these writings, faithful gospel not only pointed to the proper beliefs and practices of the church, but it also fostered a confidence in the truth and effectiveness of God's self-revelation in Christ. You see, the primary sin of false teachings is that they undermine the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And that hope produces the fruits of the Christian life. They are the product of Christ's love. False teachings undermines that hope, takes away the feeling and the confidence and the understanding of the love of God through Jesus Christ. And therefore, the fruits of the Spirit are not present. False teachings foster a rejection of the fullness of Christ's love by returning people to a realm of ignorant practices and superstitious beliefs. This separates us from the truth of God's salvation in Christ. This, this cornerstone of truth in which we lay our lives down. This opportunity where God has called us out of the shadows and darkness into the light. And we experience that. We experience a freedom, a liberation of our spirit which we feel taken away in a dark place where things that are strange are told to us, things that don't gel with the scripture, things that don't quite align. Colossians makes a claim on the church to take care, all of us, that the wisdom that we impart to its people is a faithful gospel. We each have that, we each have that responsibility we have a gospel to share. The gospel isn't just the facts that surround Jesus' life or surround Paul or surround Peter or any of the other characters of the Bible. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the transformational life that you have experienced through the love of Jesus Christ. When someone wants to hear about the gospel, I guarantee you they're not asking you about theology. They're asking about your experience of Jesus. How do you experience God? What is your understanding of the way God operates in the world? Does God love me? Does Jesus have a word for me? That's the question that's being asked. So we're to proclaim a word of God that produces the fruits of endurance and patience and joy as the author outlines. He says, if you, if you have the strength of God, then I pray that these fruits will be yours, that there will be endurance and patience and joy with the community and with the way we engage with the world. Witnessing the fruits of the kind of spirit a church produces helps us stay steady in our walk. Can we look at a church and say they they are faithful to the gospel because they have large numbers or a mega budget or publicity in radio, television, newsprint, and other. Can we look at a church and say they have the gospel? They're preaching the gospel because of the programs they have or the certain charismatic leader. Although none of those things are bad, 
They all are worthy endeavors, and they're all certainly outcomes, but they're not testimony of the Spirit itself. Testimony of the Spirit of the gospel, the true gospel, is the fruit in your life. It's the fruit and how that fruit is representative of the divine character that God has revealed to us in Jesus Christ. So we have witnessed and been horrified by Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard, a secret society demanding money and loyalty, by Heaven's Gate and Marshall Applewhite, demanding blindness and suicide. We've been horrified by the Branch Davidians and David Koresh demanding loyalty and perversion and mass murder and the People's Temple and Jim Jones demanding allegiance to perversion and ultimately the mass suicide of 900 men, women, and children. The gospel of Jesus Christ did not demand that you kill yourself. It rather invites you to live into eternity because of the sacrifice of another on your behalf because you are loved. But before we begin to get too smug about our loyalty to the gospel of Christ, it's very important for us to ask, are we? Are we loyal to the gospel of Christ? The Bible refers to and teaches us about our responsibilities towards the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed in the areas of poverty and justice over 2,000 times. Over 2,000 times. This might be why you constantly hear preachers over the span of all preaching history talk about the poor and talk about the marginalized and talk about our responsibility to them. Over 2,000 times, it's a topic that spans from the beginning Am I my brother's keeper? All the way to the end of all scriptures. And it's the only issue Jesus raises in conjunction with judgment. Truly, I tell you, just as you did not feed or clothe or care for or visit the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Matthew 25. When we whittle down our responsibility as the followers of Christ and our responsibility, and not just responsibility, but privilege, to that of being friendly and nice and law-abiding and generous, none of those are bad things. They're all good things. But they're not particular to Christianity. You can find nice, law-abiding, generous people in every religion. It's not a particularity that bears witness to Jesus Christ. It doesn't tell our unique story, wherein God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The story that over 2,000 times reminds us of our responsibility to the world. It's not enough to help those who do not yet know the gospel. It's not enough for us to be nice and law-abiding and generous. 
to demonstrate to them that it's God's work that saves them, not their achievements, and that they are saved by grace and love, not by their ability to behave or comply. If we teach otherwise, then we also have strayed from our central belief that God has chosen to save us by grace, by God's grace in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we claim God's blessings in times of prosperity and God's curse in times of struggle, we are teaching superstition rather than gospel. If we teach that being a Christian is easy and uncomplicated and there are absolutely no demands or expectations, it's simple, it's easy, we're only demonstrating our ignorance of scripture. If we teach that there are those that God would have us exclude from our lives and from our fellowship, from our love and compassion, that there are those we should hate, then we are not following Jesus as he ate and slept and served alongside the most hated outcast characters of his time and location. You see, we have to know Jesus to follow Jesus. That's the main thing. We have to know Jesus to follow Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus beyond doctrine or dogma? Do you know Jesus the way scripture reveals Jesus to be? Beyond any one person's take on it, but in the way that God has transformed your own heart through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So then it's up to us to be vigilant. To be vigilant in our study of the scriptures. To be vigilant in the way we serve a true gospel. In our ability to look around us and to see the fruits that are being born inside of our own lives. If the fruit of your life is being born is bitterness, hatred, shame, then you might consider the gospel that you're listening to, the gospel perhaps of being filtered by your own experience. You might begin to attend to the true gospel that is one of grace and forgiveness and love and do-overs and of the scriptures that inspired all the Christians that have gone before us so that they can continue to inspire and become the living words that the living words that find a home in our daily lives so when I say study the scriptures it's not just about doing a bible study although it sure is helpful to study the bible with friends with other people who are on the journey with you it's something that we're meant to do in community so that we can hold each other accountable, so that the truth can bounce off of each other, so that we can wrestle with them in love. But the true study of scriptures is to pay attention. Pay attention to the way scripture speaks to you. Pay attention to the way the fruits of the spirit begin to grow within you. Pay attention to what those fruits lead you to do. Are they a fruit of patience and generosity 
and love and kindness, self-control, perseverance. What are the fruits of your life? Most often in memorial services, I want to, I want to lift up to the people that are there that they are the fruit of this person's life that's gone before us, this person that's died. This person's life has brought all of these people together in this moment to remember that we are the living fruits of Christ's spirit and to remember that we also plant seeds in others and they become the fruit of our spirit as well. Let's be vigilant in our study of scriptures the same scriptures that inspired Jesus, the same scriptures that inspired Paul, the same scriptures that inspired Moses and all of those who have gone before us, the same scriptures that inspired all of those in the thousands of years since to live a life in alliance and allegiance to Christ alone. And let the words of Colossians inspire us each today forward. We have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. This is God's word. Blessed be God.